1: This week on Barca Talk, Messi wins the golden shoe. The Griezmann transfer appears to be a done deal. Sergi Roberto is banned for four games. We're still unsure of Iniesta's next move, and the team is taking a goodwill tour to South Africa this week. In community, Francesc Tomas of the Barcelona podcast drops by, and in our match reviews, a great win over Villarreal sees Dembele shine, but a bad loss to Levante sees the whole team in disarray. So let's talk. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Barca Talk. Brian Henderson here. Joining me from Madrid, Spain, is your co-host, Gabriel Quiroga.
0: Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from another mother. How are we doing in Buffalo?
1: I can't hear out of one of my ears, and it's really messing with me, man.
0: I know. We've been talking earlier. Um, I hope you get that cleared up soon, my friend.
1: I might have to go see a doctor about this. It's been yes. over. It's been happening for over a week now. Last week when we were recording and I was in Montreal, it was there a little bit, and... Over the last few days, it's just gotten worse, and I'm, I'm I'm like I'm deaf in my right ear. It's very yeah, very unnerving.
0: Yeah, I mean my my rule is usually after four days if it doesn't go away, go visit the doctor.
1: Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm gonna have them stick something in my ear, and hopefully, I don't know, give me some antibiotics or there you go, whatever they need. I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe there's some little creature they can just put in my ear who will go in there and do all not the out. work and is there any <laughs> miniaturization technology that
0: <laughs> uh not yet but there isn't there isn't any of these aliens that you speak of that will come and gnaw your ear so maybe uh, in the future though bummer all right yeah. well how are things in madrid uh better uh, as we were talking earlier i'm working on this mega business plan because i'm trying to work on my visa to stay here long term so that has been my project all weekend so i have been uneventful i've been a good boy this weekend, Brian. So you'd be proud.
1: Yeah you you seem very together, very sober, very awake. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you. <Yeah. laughs>
1: Actually, you know, Megan, my wife, was saying she really enjoyed last week's episode where it was clear that you were a, a little bit inebriated.
0: Yes, it, it was a mixture. I would say it was about twenty eighty of <laughs> me like being tired and inebriated so
1: yeah because it was very late when we finally got to record last week we're doing this the proper way it's it's the proper way it's morning or afternoon for me it's early evening for you we're we're being very professional this week we are yes now um moving forward the we're the season is winding down we've already claimed the double fc barcelona has and i thought that we wouldn't have too much to talk about But as the footballing cycle goes, there are actually a number of news items to discuss this week. And the first one is this is breaking news for us because uh, we're recording this on Sunday and this just happened. So what's the newest breaking news, Gabriel?
0: Yeah, I just saw on Facebook that officially Messi has won the golden shoe or boot. Is it shoe or boot? It depends on what country you're in. Yeah, so... Uh, because Salah apparently got subbed off in the game, and he doesn't, he couldn't match Messi's scoring output. So again, what can you say? Another banner year for Messi and FC Barcelona.
1: Yeah, and I'm trying to check the stats on this. How many golden shoes has it. Messi won at this point?
0: This is going to be his fifth. Oh, wow. Five yeah.
1: Volontors, five golden shoes. <laughs> I lost count of his trophies.
0: He's a, a top scorer country. in La
1: Liga. He's the top assister in La Liga.
0: And a partridge and a pear tree.
1: Yeah, and that's <laughs> and that's what you get with Leo Messi.
0: Yeah, exactly. So uh, let's see the overall. Obviously, Messi with thirty four goals. He obviously has to. We're recording this this part right now before the Levante match, so he could even um, add to that scoring tonight. But as we sit right now, it's uh, thirty four goals. Except Messi
1: lot. was not even on the squad for Levante.
0: Oh, see, that's why, Brian, you're just on top of the news there for me. So on top so, of it. Yeah, so Salah ended with uh, 32 goals, so a great season for him. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really hoping he has the match of the year in the Champions League final against Real Madrid because uh, to dethrone Real Madrid, they're going to need at least two goals from him. And he's has, he has had a great season. He's been a lot of fun to watch his speed, his development. And I'm really excited to see what he can bring the next couple of years into the Premier League. Yeah,
1: and we're going to hear in our community segment later on when you were talking with Francesc about how, you know, suddenly there are a whole lot of new Liverpool fans for this Champions League final match who are uh, generally Barcelona fans. But for this one match, we're, we're becoming the biggest Liverpool fans. That's
0: correct. And I definitely think... That, you know, that Liverpool definitely have a really great chance of dethroning Real Madrid. But um, like we said, Salah just an outstanding season. You know, I haven't been able to watch Liverpool just because of the Barcelona matches that we watch all the time. But from what I've seen in the highlights and, and then Champions League. Yeah, he he's a beast. And I'm really hoping that this is not a one year wonder.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I hope that he, he, you know, that that he continues to perform like this and he has a a good long career like that.
0: Cause he's he's a very impressive player. Yeah, he is. Uh his speed, his creativity, I think is and he's also in the perfect system right now for him in the Klopp four three three system where it's just very counterattack. Um, so really exciting to see what will happen in a couple of years. But again, Messi just Continues that train right he was a little bit behind with the goals I think he was at 1.5 then he had a hat trick here but he just keeps scoring and I mean Brian I mean it's just been an incredible season I mean I just always think back about our first episodes when we record together when we were waving the white flag you know yeah. with the Neymar leaving we were getting we got our butts kicked against Real Madrid and and now the season is just completely 180 I talked about that with Frances because when we had Francesca at the beginning of the year, you know we were talking about our goals and aspirations for the season, and I kind of got his um thoughts and review of the season and it's just crazy how you know it's a long season and just how quickly everything can change,
1: yeah, and i mean we i i couldn't be well I could be a little bit happier i was I was gonna say I couldn't be happier <laughs> with this season, I could be a little happier you you all know what I'm talking about obviously yeah, but But anyway, oh, you know, I was also reminded that uh, just today I was reading something. uh, I guess it was an interview with Mascherano. You know, he's over there in China now. But he was just recently saying that he thinks Messi is playing even better overall than when he won all his Ballon d'Ors. Just his overall game has has gotten so much better. And, of course, Ballon d'Ors, you know, let's be honest, they go to goal scorers.
0: No, I definitely agree with that sentiment. I think overall, if you just look at his playmaking, he reminds me of Magic Johnson where Magic Johnson was such a great playmaker, but then when you needed him to score like a skyhook to win the NBA finals, he would do it. And now with Messi's creativity, just being on you know the center of the park to be able to pass, and at, we're going to talk about the match against Villarreal where he and Iniesta were just – it was just a passing masterclass um, of what they were doing – it's it's unfair for other teams to guard him because if you press up he goes over the top if you give him space he's going to shoot and so I just I'm in total agreement with Mascherano that I think overall he's developing more into a playmaking which includes goal scoring but also assists and I think that just makes him just an overall just lethal player
1: well yeah and again you know, he he just won the golden shoot that's for all of yeah. Europe. So he's got the scoring chops, obviously, but yeah, his playmaking has also increased. He's increased his assist output as well. And we were also talking earlier this year about how his free kicks as part of those goals have really escalated this year.
0: That's the other thing too, right? There was a, a track there where he had four goals in a row or five, of free kick, four, right? I think it was four free kicks. And, you know, there's less pressure on him to score just because of his ability to play make, and involve others. And, Like I said, when we're going to talk about more about the VL Real game, we had more balanced scoring from other players. But also, Messi was able to create so much and create those passing um, to open up those spaces for other players they were able to convert. So, I'm I'm still scared of our midfield going forward. But, obviously, with our attacking, and we're going to talk about the next news item with Griezmann uh, most likely coming. I think, you know, we're just going to be able to score six goals, five goals, this type of output. That's going to make it really tough. For other teams to beat us, yeah, it is. I mean, as if it weren't already
1: tough enough. Yeah, but let's quick fire through uh, some of our other news items. Uh, That was, I think, the big breaking news, and I'm super excited about that. That that Messi gets yet another Golden Shoe. But we got a few more items to talk about and go through them quickly. It looks as though Antoine Griezmann is in fact coming to Barcelona and the deal is done in principle. The newspaper Sport reported that a meeting took place between Griezmann, his sister, Maude, and a legal advisor close to their family and high-level Barcelona executives at a meeting near the Camp Nou back in April. Uh, Citing Catalunya Radio, Sport reported that the meeting was attended on the Barcelona side by President Bartomeu, VP Jordi Mestre, CEO Oscar Grau, GM Pep Guardiola and sporting director Robert Fernandez. So this was a an important meeting. The big guns were out and the report went on to say that Barcelona do plan to pay the 100 million euro buyout clause for Griezmann on July 1st, 20 million of which will go to Real Sociedad and the other 80 going to Atletico.
0: Yeah, that's that's crazy. It's just I don't know how I feel about this, Brian. <laughs> because I think he's a great player, but you know, romantically, I want more opportunities for La Masia players. And the trajectory that we're going on right now with this big-time spending, it doesn't look like that's what the board wants, right? So I understand, you know, Griezmann is going to add a depth that we people have been asking for. Um, hopefully that'll push out some other players that we can get rid of. But at the same time, I just, I don't like this Galactico type of, trajectory that we're on i you know i don't know how i feel about it i mean obviously when he turns on the jersey i'm going to support him because i'm a barca fan but at the same time couldn't we just get him for cheaper 100, 100, <laughs> well we can't know.
1: get him for any cheaper uh, and actually no, that know. does I lead know. me to the next point about this story which is that just this past week atletico released a statement in the name of their ceo miguel angel Marin, saying we're fed up with barcelona's attitude That a president, player, and a board member speak the way they've done about the future of a player with an existing contract and just a few days before disputing a European final is an absolute lack of respect towards Atletico Madrid and its fans. I agree. There's no love for for Barcelona at Atletico.
0: I agree. But the thing is, I don't understand how Barcelona is not going to get sanctioned for this. You know, for this kind of open, um, tampering type of pre-contract negotiation transfer because you're not really not allowed to do that. Yeah. Now, you can kind of, um, you know, say stuff in the press like we're interested and maybe something like that. But at the same time, you can't just like out negotiate when the player is still on their contract. You have to wait for those transfer windows. That's what it's for. This happens a lot in the NBA where players do the uh, contract negotiations because they're not legally binded. They can just be like, oh, I'm just talking to my friend. And But the way that Barcelona has come out with this meeting and so forth, this is the opposite of that. And I'm surprised that La Liga may not go after them for some sort of tampering rules or whatnot and find uh, FC Barcelona for this type of, um, I don't know, behind, behind the door, behind the wall kind of deals that shouldn't happen. You have to wait for the transfer window to do that.
1: Right. Well, um, yeah, it's not really a backroom deal. It's it's at this point, it's pretty out in the open, but, yeah, exactly. but there's still a problem with the timing.
0: Exactly. And that's the thing is that you can't, I mean, I'm pretty sure just, you know, just in my uh, overall experience in professional sports, you have to wait for these windows. And I know maybe there's a handler for Griezmann who's legally not associated with him that can reach out to Barcelona and say, Griezmann is interested. Let's start kind of working on this deal that's the way it kind of gets done in professional sports. You know, it's through like uh, third person handlers and this type of thing to not be associated legally, but the way this has been, you know, brought about all year long to me, I just feel like Barcelona has broken the rules and I feel like there could be a big sanction, especially how much Tebas loves FC Barcelona. Right. I mean, this is just another reason for him to go after us. So, I mean, again, I have mixed feelings. I know he's going to add a lot to our team, but again, I think it just limits Dembele's development and um, we'll see. I mean, this is all really, this signing is really just to help us in champions league performances for the following years.
1: Right. And just my final note on that is that this reminds me of what we were saying about the board earlier on in this season. You know, we've, we've more or less uh, curtailed our criticisms of the organization and the head office, the president and such in the last few months but when we started this season we had plenty of negative things to say about Bartomeo and the whole the whole board and how they were going about things and you know they managed to avoid any culpability for any wrongdoing even though there were a number of investigations going on around them trials and that sort of thing and everyone has gotten out clean but here we are again in, in a situation where it looks like they're going to be under a lot of scrutiny
0: I mean, I still don't like them. (laughs) I mean, I still don't agree with how they're running this just because I think they could be more financially sound. And, you know, like we talked about with the La Masia thing. But, um, you know, there's so much pressure now as we've talked. You know, it's funny because recording this podcast this year, I've really noticed how fickle our fellow Kool-Aids are with winning and day-to-day performances, you know. And I know, you know, it's been a great season, two doubles, but obviously we just, that elusive Champions League that we wanted. And with the pressure from Kules and the money that they get or potential loss that they don't get, that's why they're going to make these huge signings. But as we've seen in Real Madrid two times, when they pulled the Galacticos era, on paper it works, but you don't really necessarily get all the performances that you desire.
1: Right. Well, that's the other thing is, you know, silverware is one thing and that's supposed to be what you're fighting for. But a lot of the presidents, CEOs of these clubs, what they're actually doing is thinking of it as a business, and if they have these Galacticos, then that's good for the bottom line.
0: Exactly, because it's it's uh, shirt sales, um, especially with the new stadium that they want to develop, um, sponsorship deals, all these other things. So it's a slippery slope, my friend, because the way we're headed, it just it just seems as though we're going we're headed to a European Super League. You know, yeah, we're only the top eight teams, and I don't want that. I definitely don't want that. I love having the domestic league and having these Champions League matches because they seem more special. But if if there's this eight team super team all the super league all the time, I think it loses that kind of cachet that that big time game status. You know, we're seeing it now with um, you know, with Real Madrid and being linked up with Neymar. I don't know if you've read that. Yes, that Neymar might be coming this summer, and that's going to cost them three hundred million euros to get him which is that's like that's like a price of a car (laughs) (laughs) which which car the most expensive car in the world right (laughs) i'm just kidding but
1: a custom bugatti
0: yeah exactly but a 300 million euro transfer that's just insane
1: yeah and then he'll get injured and he won't even play
0: yeah yeah
1: (laughs) all right so next thing Sergi Roberto, uh, he has been handed a four-game ban by the RFEF's competition committee after his dismissal in the Clásico. The suspension will run for the rest of this season and will have Sergi out of the first leg of the Spanish Super Cup next season. By comparison, earlier this year, the same RFEF committee banned Marcelo of Real Madrid for only two games after a similar offense to the one that Sergi was sent off for. Against Levante, Marcelo kicked Lerma received only a two-game ban, and then it was reduced to only one on appeal. And Barcelona have filed an appeal to reduce Sergi's ban. On both occasions, the referee was Hernández Hernández, who is tied with David Fernández-Borbalán for red cards this year at four. At the same time, strangely, he is further down the list for yellows and
0: yellow to reds. I think Sergio Roberto should have got eight games for this. Really? No, no, (laughs) of course not. (laughs) this is the biggest crock of bs i've ever heard in my life like for example in the classical match there's no clear angle of the infraction right like back into the left (laughs) back into the left, like the jfk shooting right yeah so again it's just a gray area and i understand maybe okay because of the red card accumulation but at the same time you can clearly see you can clearly not see the infraction. So to me, it should have been just, you know, the one game suspension of the red card and that's it. But this it goes back to the La Liga refs, how useless they are and how much support, you know, they don't get from the, the federation and how they can be bullied by the teams and the players. And the other thing too, is just, you know, obviously they've tried to appeal it. I don't know what's going to happen, but at the same time, It wasn't out of malice that Sergio Roberto did that to Marcelo's face. It was kind of a combination of him moving up his elbow. I mean, this is from my point of view. And again, it's so unclear because the action is away. So the camera doesn't have a clear sight to it. So this just shows the kind of incompetence of the RFEF for me.
1: Yeah. But quickly, next thing. Iniesta is actually not moving to Chongqing Lifan. In fact, we at this point do not know where Iniesta is going to be going next year. We'll know in about in another week or so. He's he's said that he's going to announce what he's doing. I checked the other day and it said it was about 10 days away. So there is there seems to be a date where he will co- go public and tell us what his future plans are. Uh, but anyway, the rumors were that the Chinese Super League club Chongqing Lifan were signing Andres Iniesta, but This week, they released a statement confirming that this is not the case. They have, however, signed a commercial deal with him, presumably related to his wine business, Bodega Iniesta. Meanwhile, there are reports that numerous clubs in Australia's A-League are interested in signing him, and the president of that league has gone on record supporting such a move. Now, here's a good one. Tutosport have reported that Juventus are also looking at him. But given Iniesta's remarks about never competing against Barcelona and not competing in Europe that would be impossible for Juventus.
0: Yeah, so where do you think he's going to go?
1: I honestly don't know. Uh, I think the most recent rumors have been somewhere in Japan. But I, I only take it from the mouth of the Don. So the Don yeah. has not said, so I, I don't know.
0: Just come to MLS. Not well, before he does, why does he have to leave? <laughs> I'm going to say this again. After his performance against Real, where he was diming everywhere... Dude, he still has it, and I don't understand. We can just spot start him. I we we talked about all this, but I, he said oh he he gosh. says he's he wants to leave. I know he wants. Know, that's but. what he
1: wants. I mean, I would be perfectly happy with a Jay Leno situation, right? Where mid season next year <laughs> he comes back and says, "Nah, I changed my mind. I want." <laughs>
0: I'm changing my mind. I'm changing my mind. Right.
1: (laughs) Screw you, Conan. I want the tonight show back.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I want it back. I don't know. I mean, have you ever had, I mean, usually when a player has retired, we usually know the team that they're going to go within a week. And this is kind of interesting to me because I feel like there's still a lot of teams competing for him and he just has to pick the best one. Obviously the best one that's going to be the most comfortable for his family. So I personally would like to see him in MLS because I think he would add a huge, wow factor to the mls but at the same time i hate the mls so i really don't think they deserve them you know uh we can save this for another podcast but i'm just anti-mls to to the t but um maybe australia i read too as well you know yeah that could Um, be cool that would be cool i mean again it just depends on what he wants to do overall does he want to help the league to expand um, you know, or is he just looking to get a paycheck like Xavi and just kind of play these kind of exhibitional games in the Middle East? You know, like, what are you trying to do? So. I thought Xavi's decision to go to the Middle East was very much
1: about trying to grow and expand the game and, I don't know, just get a little bit more attention in, into uh, the league in Qatar.
0: You know, it is true because now when I follow professional football, it's like La Liga, Premier League, and the Qatar League. So, yeah, he right. did a Right. Job. <laughs> they're coming up big right now they're coming up huge <laughs> the cutter league you know they got that they got that team uh don't know so so again
1: do you even know the name of the team that chavi plays for i have no idea it's called
0: al-sad there you go see yeah, i mean that's why you know we're, we're the ying and the yang you bring those that those knowledge tidbits that i miss right so.
1: now speaking of other countries outside of europe uh we- our victory tour, and I think of it like everything else that's happening this season is just victory tour for us. Uh, the first team is going to actually be traveling to South Africa for a friendly match with the ABSA Premiership Champions Mamalodi Sundowns on May 16th, which is funny because it's going to be in between the team's last two La Liga fixtures against Levante you know, on Sunday and the next one against Real Sociedad. Uh, but here's the fun part. The Friendly is part of a series of events to commemorate what would have been Nelson Mandela's 100th birthday, and the match will be played in FNB Stadium, which used to be Soccer City, the site of Iniesta's World Cup winning goal, and he
0: will be on the plane for that. That's cool. You know, the good thing is they picked a place that is really close to Barcelona. Right. Very right, convenient. You know? oh my god that's such a long flight yeah <laughs> oh my
1: god um, and the timing and is it's just it's part of the nelson mandela thing so the timing no, is I, what I it get is that. i
0: get that i understand that And that's really cool that's you know an idea on paper that they're just you know trying to always promote globally and this type of thing but at the same time like can't they just meet in the middle like <laughs> <that's> <laughs> well it's not really
1: a-, a south africa celebration I if they know, don't play know, it in but- south africa
0: but again, like we've been talking, you know, uh, it's been a long season for the players and it's been a long season for us, you know, like just commentating and doing these podcasts and stuff. And imagine we're just like, oh yeah, Brian, we have, um, we're have we going to do another show um, next Wednesday and it's going to be a four-hour show. And it's like, oh my gosh. I could do I, it. Like we, <laughs> we're like, we're professionals. We can do I it. Can you do know. It. <laughs> and it's the same thing with this. It's just, you know, I, I'm totally behind the global and the idea of this because of Nelson Mandela and all that, but at the same time, can't they bring the team to Barcelona? <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know? Just think, broadcast think, it, simulcast it in Soccer yeah. City. It'll no, it'll be cool, just like they're there.
0: So, how, like, how many days are they going to go? You know, that's the thing. Like, you go there for a night, spend the night, play the game, come back? Jesus. Yeah, it's probably going to be a, at least
1: a three-day trip. Um, oh, my gosh. And I would anticipate that we're going to see, you know, Paco and Dinia, and, and then we're going to see some action maybe. I don't know. I mean, because it could go either way, right? We could send all the big stars, have them play in Africa, and then the following week against Real Sociedad, just put the B team in.
0: Yeah, that's true. That is true. It could work either Um, way,
1: honestly. Yeah, exactly.
0: I actually would prefer that. They just roll out the B team against Sociedad and just let everyone rest and just kind of, you know, take Iniesta off at, you know, after the second half for his last game. So I, again, it's this is part of being such a huge conglomerate that FC Barcelona is becoming or is, you know, just. You have all these all these uh, matches pre-matches celebrations all across the world you know it's not just in europe anymore you know like we've seen them in asia and the u.s and you know when you sign with fc barcelona this is part of the thing that comes along with it the travel the exposure and flying to south africa midweek so
1: yeah just get on a plane go to south africa play a match a exactly. you know, big deal now, this week in our community, uh, Gabriel spoke to our friend Francesc Tomas from the Barcelona podcast where they look back on our season, look ahead to our midfield prospects for next year, talk about the influx of fans Liverpool is getting from us in the Champions League final. And you'll hear a first hand account from Francesc about a young Andres Iniesta. I really enjoyed cutting this together and I hope you enjoy giving it a listen.
0: I'm pleased to have our special guest, my friend Francesca Tomas, founder of the Barca Blog and co-host of the Barcelona Podcast. Welcome, Francesca, to the Barca Talk.
2: Oh, well, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, you know, we talked earlier this year on, when we were both on each other's podcast, and we talked briefly about our hopes and dreams for the season. So, Francesc, how would you rate this season?
2: Well... I don't really want to give an exact number sort of thing, but I think it borders on excellent, to be honest. I think um, a season in which you achieve the Mexican double has to be an absolute success. Um, I was looking back at stats from the 1970s and 80s, and uh, basically before Johan Cruyff came to Barcelona, um, I think we had around 20 titles in around 50 or 60 years. And from the moment that Johan Cruyff um, landed at Barca, in the last 30 years, there's been 15 La Liga titles achieved. And uh, of course, you know, it seems to be like Barca wins pretty much every league, every season. I mean, it's seven out of the last 10. But I think it is remarkable to know that we are in a position in that every single year we're challenging from the three titles. As As we've said in our podcast as well several times, I think the most important thing is to notice that La Liga, the, the league, the domestic league, is the most important trophy. Um, I do understand that Champions League obviously gets people hugely excited, but the best team normally does win La Liga, and that doesn't always happen in Champions League. Of course, I do understand that people are disappointed. So am I. You know, um, the, the defeat in Roma is something that we're never really going to forget. Um, I was trying to be very mature and, and sort of get over it. A week after, two weeks have gone, three weeks have gone and it still really hurts, and I think it's going to be one of those defeats that are going to stay with us forever, and to be honest, I think as bad as it is, and as disappointing as it is, we don't have the Champions League final coming up in a couple of weeks, it is something that in the future we're going to look back and learn from. I mean, there's been a lot of things done, I would say, below standard in order to prepare a squad to be as decisive and as fit and as ready and mentally focused as they need to be in order to reach this part of the season as in the best possible form both mentally and physically so unfortunately that didn't happen and it's all about looking back and analyzing where we went wrong um obviously i haven't mentioned like Copa del rey we've won i think it's five out of the last five and uh you know that obviously does help and when you're challenging for every single title then this thing can, can happen undoubtedly it is great to know that we've got a domestic double and we were dominant in both competitions just you know the Champions League is going to hurt
0: yeah I mean I totally agree remember at the beginning of the year we were you know we were almost um you know scared for our lives essentially because of what happened in the Supercopa against Real Madrid and to have the season that we've had I mean I for me it's it's been a success I mean super success right especially having the unbeaten streak and obviously the Champions League hurt and you know, it's funny because earlier I was listening to your podcast while you were discussing about the Champions League and La Liga and everything like this. Um, why do you think everyone is still mourning the Champions League, even though we just won those two? So why why is the Champions League still? Uh, rendered a little bit more important, depending on who you ask, right? Um, For me, I I love the Champions, but I also know the importance of the La Liga just because of the extension of the season. So why do you think Champions becomes now, you know, everyone is really sad about it still, everyone kind of wants to put an asterisk on it?
2: I think it's a great reflection of the world we live in today. I mean, people are very immediate, I think. Social media in terms of Facebook, but certainly Twitter and seems to be Instagram. I'm not the biggest Instagrammer in the world, but everything sort of happens quickly and people want success and people want it now. Um, obviously, every single major team in Europe is challenging for the Champions League every year and ratings are through the roof in the biggest competition in world football in terms of club, obviously, because we've got the World Cup coming up soon. But I think that's what it is. I mean, when you've got the likes of Manchester City, um, obviously Juventus, uh, Chelsea, etc. Huge major clubs capable of investing huge amounts of money. Um, Obviously PSG, in terms of investing, they've got the upper hand as well. But I think it's because it's the culmination of the best of every league. That That's why people sort of hype it up so much. And um, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, when you've got Getafe, Levante, Leganes, etc., in La Liga, people don't really get very excited with that. But I think having 38 matches in a competition and being the best, that is the competition that actually does put you in your place. I mean, Zidane himself, when when questioned on it, he always says La Liga is the most important t- title and that's the one that would prefer to win. But and as, as hard as this may probably sound to, to say... Real Madrid sort of having the DNA to just switching on when it needs to be switched on in the arguably their competition. They won it 12 times. It is very likely they're going to win it 13 times, and you know that is something that Barca needs to recover. And hopefully the board, obviously the managers, but I think the board calling the shots is going to play a decisive point on the, bringing a success in Europe back.
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. I, I just know one thing, Francesc. For the Champions League final, I'm going to be the biggest Liverpool fan. I don't know about oh, you.
2: Absolutely. I, I've got
0: <laughs> Steven Gerrard
2: tattooed over my forehead already. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, I just hope that they're able to expose Real Madrid's defense for how bad it really is. And I just really hope, you know, I honestly think it's going to be a very entertaining match with no defense. So I like that. I think it's going to be something like a 4-3 to three type of game. What do you think? Well,
2: um, we had Diana Christine in the podcast just yesterday, and she said 2-1. And I would Ooh. not... Yeah, 2-1 for Liverpool. Um, she's yeah. a Liverpool fan, sort of half and half. Um, she said... You know, I did say, you've got Liverpool first in your, ha- in your heart. And she said, no, 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 it's it even. So uh, I wouldn't want to disagree with Diana, so I'm going to go with what she said. Uh, because u- ultimately, <laughs> it's going to give us the result we want. It's not the result that we need, sort exactly. of thing. But a lot of people back in Catalonia would be very, very cheerful and happy and sort of car-wheeling around, around the streets of Barcelona if Real Madrid did not win the 13th and... I'm going to go with
0: that. Yeah, I think it would give us closure, right? It would give us that proper closure. We won the two titles and Real Madrid wouldn't get that Champions I think that's what would help us kind of get over this season and just make it a super season. So the other thing I want to talk about quickly was the transfers. So, Francesco, I'm a little scared about the next season, about our midfield more than anything. I just don't know if we're going to be strong enough um I don't know which players are going to be leaving but you know if you had to choose what would you do in the midfield like what would be your first choice of rearranging the midfield losing some players what would you do if you were in charge of those transfers
2: well I think we're ahead of a season off season rather that is going to be decisive for for club future and not just for this season coming ahead but I would say for the next decade, I think it's about time that La Masia players were trusted. I think that is the, f- the first point. Obviously, Andres Iniesta's leaving us. We were certain it was going to be China. It probably is Japan now or maybe Australia. Maybe he ends up in the MLS. But regardless, um, after the press conference, there is no way Iniesta does stay. So he, wherever he goes, he's going somewhere. And with him, he's taking that legacy, that Barca DNA, that know-how. Um, I mean, he's our captain, but beyond the armband he is his influence, is his, his ability to always encourage people to play the Barca away. And luckily we got Busquets still sort of calling the shots, but Busquets and Iniesta and obviously Xavi are different players that add different shades to the game. I mean, with Iniesta, what you're losing is a lot of uh, control up front, someone who can read the tempo, someone who understands when and when not to attack, which is crucial. Um, obviously widening the page, um being able to look at Jordi Alba when he's overlapping. So all of that is going and he's going with Iniesta's sort of boots and never really coming back. So I think the most important thing is that we nurture our players in order to one day be, be like Iniesta. You know, I do understand that generations of players like Messi, Iniesta, Xavi, Busquets, uh, they're not going to happen again. You know, it doesn't, yeah. matter. it doesn't matter how hard we want it and how hard we wish it. It's not going to happen again uh, to have so many world-class players coming up in such a short space of time, but we definitely have got enough players in our, in our La Masia Academy. I mean, the under-19s just won the European Championship. There has to be someone in there. Seems to be Ricky Pooch, one of the, one of the main culprits of our, of our victories, really. But there has to be talent that we can nurture. I mean, um, Carla Salanya, obviously being the first choice, but there are others. Above Sabi that could make the jump. I mean, Palencia, I think, is ready. Cucurella is ready. Arnaiz has been struggling for an injury, but then again, to play the role that Alcácer played this season, if he's fit enough, he should be able to do that as well. Um, perhaps not just in the coming season, but Abel Ruiz is ready, he's going to be ready hugely soon as well. So there is a crop of talent there that, if nurtured, can be, in a way, second unit. I mean, let's face it, Andre Gomez, I would even put Dennis. I know Dennis has got lots of fans, but for me, he hasn't shown enough to be a starter at Barça, and he doesn't justify. Um, Occupying a place that should have and probably could have been for Alanya this season, so uh, Denis Gomez, they they have to make way, you know. Obviously, Arda Turan, yeah. Arda Turan, luckily, is not with us anymore. But I think those gaps need to be filled by La Masia players. But obviously, because of the huge void left by Iniesta, I would have thought that Coutinho would move to the Iniesta position on the left. I mean, we saw it against against Madrid in the Clásico when he plays on the right, he he can have an influence, but it's his cutting towards his preferred left left foot and then shooting sort of from a distance that sort of allows him to make a difference. But, you know, I know Arthur is coming soon. Um, The club seems to think that um, January seems to be the best moment for him to join us. But undoubtedly, he needs to come a little bit earlier. I mean, beyond that, I think we just have to trust that Busquets is going to continue to be influential. Um, I know he had a lot of haters at the beginning of the season, but Rakitic has been an absolute beast in the middle, like the game against Madrid, we don't get the draw if it wasn't for Rakitic's influence. And, and his work rate is, is second to none. Um, he's been, for me, one of the players of the season for Barça. And uh, you know, we're just gonna have to trust those two. I mean, I know we're talking about midfield, but I really do think that Dembele has a chance of making the starting spot on the right midfield, particularly the Cam No, because he can sort of push forward. Obviously, he needs to improve his decision making in the final third, but. Um, I know I said a lot of things in there, but I think that, I think that somehow answers the question.
0: <laughs> I know. I, I You know, when we when I talk with Brian and, and I talk with you about this, it's just, you know, we have our certain vision of how we want to see the club run, especially integrating more Masia players. And when we don't see that, we kind of get upset because that's like one of the reasons, especially for me, that I love this club is just... The ability to integrate young talent and not always just get people from other teams when at their height, you know. But, um, you mentioned you mentioned also, um, about Iniesta, you know, you love Iniesta, I love Iniesta. So, tell me, Francesc, what is your maybe your lasting image or one of your favorite memories of Iniesta?
2: Well, personally, my favorite moment of Iniesta is when I saw him first. Um, my brother was playing for Barca at the time, and Iniesta was 12 years old, he had just sort of driven all the way from Albacete with his dad uh, Jose Antonio and mom was there and sister was really really little and uh, I remember that first training session which actually was my brother's first training session as well and you know you every year you know they're under 11 so around 12 year olds and it was infantil B and there's so many kids that sort of are there super nervous on the first day and Andres was just there he was just one of the kids he was the whitest kid in the whole place. I mean, he, he was he, he was so white. He was reflective. He's like he's like he was ill. You know, he was that white. Uh, so it was little little Caspar sort of got the ball and they started doing rondos, which are sort of circling, uh, passing routines that Barca do throughout the whole of the um, academy system. And he was good. You know, he, he wasn't losing possession as such. Obviously, I was focusing on my brother because that's why I was there. Sure. But the moment that they started shooting, I remember the... Um, they had, the goal was divided. So on the side, they had like different numbers. So one, three, five, seven, and 10, according to like 10 would be top corner and it was shooting practice. And this mm-hmm. little guy just kept shooting 10 and 10 and 10. <laughs> it was it was like, I've never seen anything like it obviously before, but since um, it was hugely impressive. And from that moment on, you thought, yeah, that guy's got talent. But I remember at the time, there was Jorge Troiteiro as well, who was, and incredibly talented. He obviously, he looked like Messi as well. He was tiny, sort of long hair. Um, and he was, I would say he was as talented, if not more attacking talented than Iniesta actually was at the time. But he sort of liked himself a little bit too much. And, you know, he could get a little bit cocky. Whereas Iniesta, he was just, he was like a, like a croissant, like we say back home. You know, he was so soft and so well-spoken and so respectful. And, you know, fast forward, what, 18, 19 years and he was crying in the press conference the other day, having been, obviously Messi's going to surpass him hopefully next season, but 30, yeah. 35 titles, collective titles under his belt, um, you know, respect from every single corner around the world. Uh, millions of culés obviously crying because he's leaving, having yeah. achieved, you know, best, best and you know, arguably most important goal in Spanish football history in the World Cup final at club level, the goal against Chelsea, obviously we're never going to forget that. And, Yeah, I think I was privileged to be there at the start and to to know what he has gone on to be and become and mean for so many millions of people around the world. is just, it's world class and I'm just really proud of everything that's happened. And in a way, linking to a previous question, I'm very lucky that La Masia could produce something as special as Iniesta and that we are living in this generation so we can witness it.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's a great story. I mean, I definitely love the stories of, you know, athletes when they're great, but then there's these little stories when they were kids, and they have these flashes of brilliance, you know? Uh, That's a great story, Francesc, which leads me perfectly to my last question for you. Now, obviously, you're Spanish um, with the World Cup coming this summer. I'm very excited about the World Cup. I I love the World Cup. It's one of my favorite uh, sporting events, especially since it only happens every four years. So how do you think Spain will do this year? Do you think they'll do better than the last World Cup? And then also, what do you think is their best lineup?
2: Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. It is it's a difficult moment sort of personally for me because obviously I am Spanish, but I'm also Catalan. So mm-hmm. all of the um, disagreements and, and sort of both sides of the argument pushing each other and sort of being trying to find little niggles um, the whole time um, has me feeling a little bit, not torn, but I don't think I personally can root for Spain as hard as I did, say, four, five, okay. four or eight years ago. Uh, sure. But that put that to one side, obviously um, the, the, the shape of the Spanish team has changed. Um, in the last World Cup and definitely eight years ago uh, when we won it all, basically, um, it was Barca dominating the team and the Spanish team was, at the heart, it was Barca really with uh, sprinkles of greatness from like obviously Sergio Ramos, uh, Iniesta, arguably Fernando Torres um, and, and that that was a different shape up. Obviously now... The Barca players are not as prominent. I think it would be good to see what Iniesta can do in his last great tournament. Um, Jordi Alba, Pique, always the definite starters and so is Busquets. But beyond that, it's going to be hard to see any Barca players really having an impact. Um, the Madrid players and obviously Atletico players or so Madrid-based players sure. are going to be sort of the, the main heart of the team. And I think we've got the makings of going the whole way, but... You know the way that Piqué gets jeered every single time. I think that's going to affect. Um, say he makes a mistake or the Barça players mess up. I don't know what the Spanish press is going to say, yeah. and then that that could bring uh, disagreements within within the part. But hopefully, López can bring everything together and, and and the team can sort of gel and and go long in the tournament. I mean, being totally blunt and honest, I'm much more eager for Messi to win the World Cup if I'm if I'm totally honest um yeah not that because it would validate his career because I think he doesn't have anything to show to anybody but I think that he deserves it you know and he's been so close with Argentina so many times um if Iwain had a clue about how to shoot a ball <laughs> that he will have at least three collective titles for Argentina he would be yeah. compared to Maradona right now um which, arguably, I mean, at club level, there is no comparison. Messi is miles ahead. Yeah. But I think if he doesn't win it this time, that's something that everyone's going to always sort of look back and say, yeah, but Messi didn't win it. Um, in terms of the best 11 for Spain, I'm not quite sure. I mean, De Gea obviously has to start. On the right, I'm assuming Afpilu going to start. Jordi Alba on the left, then Ramos and Piquet in the middle. I would say Coque and Busquets play as a double pivot, with P- uh, Busquets being a, a little bit further back. Then from then on, I think in one side, you have David Silva, I'm assuming. On the other side, I'm not quite sure, probably Isco. And then up front, it depends how he wants to play it. But Diego Costa seems to be a good reference. And then someone floating in there, whether that's Fabregas or either Isco or or David Silva, as I just said, maybe Asensio has a go as well. Um, There's so many variations, but I think the most important thing if Spain are going to go long is to be able to um, get the Gea to not work too hard, to be honest. And that, that keeping the clean sheet was a key in previous tournaments that we've won. So um, see how it all pans out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, for me, I'm, I'm excited to see what forwards uh, he chooses, the coach. Um, either, for me, I would either go with uh, Iago, Iago Aspas or Rodrigo. I just think they're just a better fit for the system. But again, uh, Francesco, I'm just really pumped to be here in Spain, in Europe, Watching the World Cup because I know in the States, you know, there's quite an environment, but it's nothing like here in Europe. And so uh, I was here for the last World Cup and Spain did not do very well. So I'm hoping they have a better showing. And just like you said, I too am going to be rooting for Messi in Argentina. I just want Messi, hopefully, to get a World Cup because I think for me, I think that'll just put him at the, you know, as the best player of all time, even though for me, he already is. So uh, really excited for the World Cup. So, uh, Francesc, you know, thanks uh, for taking the time to talk to me about Barca as always. I know. We're always kind of messaging through Twitter and what's up, and I always enjoy our banter. So, you know, I hope we can meet up soon, either in London or in Madrid or Barcelona. Well, let's
2: make that happen. I don't really know where we're going to be, but absolutely. I mean, we've got obviously you've got the the Barca Talk podcast, we've got the Barcelona podcast, and the thing is, a lot of people may think that we're rivals for some weird reason. Mm-hmm. We're actually no, we're working together to bring the best possible news and, and opinions to the Barça community. So, I really appreciate the chance to speak into. Everyone that's listening to you right now and um, obviously being able to share some of our thoughts. So thank you for the opportunity. And can I say as well, well done for um, your fundraising. You know, that what you're doing with Houston Cules. um, I think what you're doing is remarkable. So very impressed. And obviously, if you are listening to this and you haven't donated, yes, just go find me, whatever Mm -hmm. Gabriel tells you after this. But um, absolutely um, go and chip in. Uh, We are going to, after this interview is finished, uh, the barcelona podcast is going to chip in as well um, so we're gonna do that right now
0: that's great thanks a lot Francesc. and uh like i said you know hopefully we can meet up and you know we should definitely try to plan um a game in the future to to you know to combine our podcast and our audience for some sort of event i think that would be really really cool
2: well let's see what we can do let's um, yeah. the
0: sky's the limit the sky is the limit well Francesc, we'll talk to you soon muchas gracias you know, Gabriel,
1: I've already ordered my Liverpool temporary tattoos. I just, I just ordered them today. They're only three pounds.
0: <laughs> Is it just say "Never Walk Alone"? I well, it's <laughs> a whole
1: pack. You know, you get the insignias, you get the um, L. F F C or I forget what it is, but yeah, it's, it's a whole sheet of temporary tattoos for just, so for just three pounds, you can, you can get your um, you can support Liverpool for the champions
0: league final and help your friends do so as well. Nice. Yeah. I mean, like we've talked about, we're going to be the huge, you know, the biggest Liverpool fans on the champions league uh, final. So that's, that was a lot of fun. So um, I had, you know, I really enjoy talking with Frances, especially, you know, ever since I first met up with him in London back in September when I was there for the NFL game, or October, I think it was, we met up for a pint and we talked about our uh, podcasts and Barcelona. So, you know, I'm almost going to nominate Francesca as almost a Barca cousin from another mother, oh, something like this. Yeah, Barca cousin <laughs> from
1: another muzzin.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, um, I <laughs> sorry that was bad. <laughs> but uh, no, I th- I want to thank Francesca for giving us his time, and I always enjoy talking. Um, FC Barcelona with him, especially with his unique insight, especially with um, his brother's story and his story about Andres Iniesta. It's just fascinating to me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when you guys recorded that, we were getting close to our goal for our uh, FCB Camp Scholarship Fund. But since then, we've actually reached it and even exceeded it Enough to send both Oscar and Christopher to camp this summer, and they'll each be getting an extra uniform, too. So uh, we're done with promoting that scholarship fund. We've reached our goal, and uh, everyone is happy, but... Do stay tuned next year because we're going to kick it off again. We're going to be working with more penas, ideally. We're going to raise even more money and send even more kids to FCB camp next year.
0: Yeah, I mean, great job all around, Brian, to you, Victor, the Houston Kool-Aids, and everyone who helped donate. Um, I just think it was such an amazing job to get this goal achieved and to send both brothers and with the extra uniform. So I'm really looking, you know, I'm really happy we're able to do this. But I'm looking even more for next year of how big we can really get it, especially with starting it at the beginning of the season with both Classicos and having the same ideas with the raffle and different penas. I just think we can send more kids And it would just be a greater community project going forward. Absolutely. Now, finally, as the season winds
1: down, you know, we're starting to get excited for the World Cup. But for Barca, what do you think about how our midfield will shape up next year? And what do you think of this Griezmann transfer? Drop us a line at barsatalk.net or leave a message on the phone line at 716-795-2853. Now, for Barca B and FCB Femini, Barca B finally got a win this weekend in a 3-2 victory over Sporting Gijón, and FCB Femini enjoyed a 5-0 win over Levante, but they will have to settle for second place this year, as Atletico held on to their lead with a 6-1 victory over Zaragoza. We will have a full discussion about both of those situations this Thursday on our Patreon Extra, so to check that out, become a Barca Talk supporter for $3 a month. Just go to barcetalk.net slash support to become a supporter. Now let's get into this Villarreal match. This happened last Tuesday. It was making up for match day 34, which had to be rescheduled because of the Copa del Rey final. And we came out with a 5-1 victory. It was uh, quite the show. And I think Dembele was really the the shining star to come out of it for, for the most part. But let's start with the lineup, right? We had Sillison in goal, Semedo, PK Vermellon, and Dina in the back four, Busquets, Polly, Iniesta, Coutinho... Dembele and Messi.
0: Yeah, I mean, I equate this almost to an exhibition match, <laughs> right? Um <laughs> it was definitely part been... of the victory tour, right? Exactly, right? And it's uh, yeah. Um, especially with Sillison goal, um, the lineup we rolled out. Um, this is what I want to see, but I also want to see this throughout the season, not the Sillison change, but this kind of lineup. I think you know, you can see the mixture of subs and star players, right? Or starters. And it worked well for the most part. I know the VRL is not that strong this year, but this is the type of match that we should do it at home with subs in April, you know, or in in March, you know, this type of match at home. I always feel you go with lesser players at home, right. And your star players away, you know, like you, you can go with a little bit more lax lineup at home because they will be more comfortable. The home crowd is going to be behind them. They have less pressure. But when they're playing away, and you, if we rolled out this lineup, let's say, against Real Sociedad away, I would be very, very nervous. But at home against Villarreal, perfectly fine with that.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I think the biggest changes were in the back four, obviously. Uh, PK was mm-hmm. the only star defender in that lineup, right? We had Semedo, Vermellon, and Dina. And Vermellon did a great job filling in for TT, when he was injured this season. Uh turns out that when he's healthy and he, you know, feels good, he actually is a good buy. He's a good center back for us yeah. to have. He can deliver. But uh, Samato and Dina were definitely the um the ones who stood out as being, you know,
0: slightly, you know, f- from the bench, right? Bench players. And that's what I'm saying. Like they they had to the support of the crowd. They looked good, you know. And that's the thing. Against Villarreal at home, these players are going to perform better and they're going to give us a nice victory. Now, if these players played away, maybe Digne has a bad pass here and there and his confidence kind of goes a slippery slope the other way. Right. So that's why like this type of lineup, we should play this throughout the season. We don't have to play it everywhere. As long as look, we have sprinkled in Coutinho, Messi and Dembele and Iniesta, obviously we won't have them next year, but that still gives us enough attacking. And as we saw in the first half, I mean, Barcelona was on fire how many chances they had they had so many chances they had tons of chances and they
1: scored three goals you Correct. know and that first goal and this is where I think Dembele was really started to shine it was so early on uh you know it was Coutinho got the goal but it was Dembele's run and resulting shot that was blocked that Coutinho got on the end of and I mean the the shot that Dembele made the goalkeeper didn't even punch it to safety it took everything he had to just get his hands to it at all and Coutinho was just on the other end of that to put it away easily.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, the thing is with, uh, with Dembele, you know, he's shown flashes. And you can just see in this match, for example, just how much more comfortable he was. Now, for me, he still holds on to the ball a little too much. And I think he really needs to work on that because that will just make him uh, a better player just playing in the system. Um, touching and going, touching and moving. Because with his speed, as we saw in this match, he has lightning speed. And we have to use that in spaces. But if he holds onto the ball too much, the defenses are able to collapse and he has too many one-on-one opportunities. But for me, like you said, Dembele for me was the star of the match. And according to the who scored his stats line, he was a number – he scored a 10 out of 10. So overall, very impressive match for Dembele.
1: Yeah, and then of course there was the second goal that Paulinho put away. But it was Iniesta's pass. Out to Dina that set everything up, and that pass it really it made Dina and Paulinho's job super easy. And what's funny is like on the replay. BN had the virtual wall to show that Dina mm-hmm. had part of his shoulder barely on the other side of that wall. <laughs> so they're not saying yeah. that he was offside or or anything, yeah. but they were just showing it and how tight it was. And at, at that moment, Phil Shane remarked that so often they complain about how offside calls are you know, denying goals. And Ray Hudson's response made all the sense in the world to me, which is that, you know, that's what people are coming to see is goals. Yeah, It's a real bummer when you know all these offside calls, especially the really tight ones. It wasn't exactly. in this case, but whenever those really tight offside calls deny a goal, it's like, man, what did we come here to see? We didn't come here to see offsides get called.
0: <laughs> and the refs are not the stars of the game, right? So, right. Um, Stop that, making it you about know, me, you, refs. Yeah, exactly. But again, it's, for me, it starts with the Iniesta pass. To be able to see that, the perfect weight that he gives the Dignay to roll onto. I know. And then obviously... Dignes center you know if he waits a half second later or half second after um it doesn't have the same you know Pauly got open because of that pass and of course Paulie hustling like he always does was able to just stick his big toe again and just get another goal for the season so how many goals is that for him this year that's crazy that's nine nine or Paulie. ten. Oh my gosh could you again remember how my whole love and hate of Paulinho and you know this this is what I'm saying Brian Next year, I'm I'm really, really hopeful that Val, Val Green has learned his lessons about using the substitutions, and this is a perfect match for Polly because Pauly is so physical, and he's much better than what Villarreal is going to to dig out for their midfield, you know? And so at home against Villarreal, this is a perfect setup for Pauly, and again, Pauly hit another goal for us.
1: Yeah, but then... Oh, man, like I could talk about this goal, this next one for a while, actually. This was the 45-minute goal from Messi. And for me, words can try to describe this goal, but they will never do it justice. But the way that the play unfolded, it sort of happened in three phases, right? So first, Busquets plays the ball into Messi. He has one defender on him, turns to beat him, and then starts his run. Coutinho's ahead and to the left with two defenders on him. Then, second phase, those defenders leave Coutinho to run into the box while Messi comes out wide and they close him down for the moment, forcing him to play the ball back to Iniesta. And finally, before Iniesta even has the ball, Messi is running in behind. So Iniesta one-times it back over the heads of the defenders and Messi massages it into goal with his left foot on the volley, somehow just... Caressing it around senho and just just inside the post.
0: I mean, it was an okay goal, Brian. Oh, please, please <laughs> don't even
1: okay. try to be cool about this.
0: I'm just kidding. All I could yeah. say
1: about it when I first saw it was unreal. That was I, I wrote <laughs> that down just so that I could go back and and look at it, and I've watched it numerous times since.
0: I it, it's almost getting to the point where it's just the goals that we score are just we're spoiled of how beautiful they are. Yeah, Um, I think for me, when I first became a Barcelona fan, we, you know, back in the 90s, I want to say, this was the never style. And obviously when Pep came, it has become this style of just this beautiful, elegant passing and finishing. I think in my whole soccer, football career, never came close to a goal like this. Oh, no. (laughs) You know, like where you have such intuition with a teammate that you don't even have to look. I mean, if you watch Messi dive up and then dive back, Iniesta already knew exactly what he was doing. And to me, you know, like you described the whole play, but obviously the Iniesta pass, the touch and the the pace to go over everyone, but also just die and the way Messi just finished it, it's a thing of beauty. Again, another just poetic goal. And it's, you know, it's one of the last goals we'll see of Iniesta and Messi link up like that. And the way they celebrated, too, you can kind of tell as well. But, again, just as you described it from front to end, just, just the, the passing is just incredible. And especially I'm counting right now because I have the, the the screenshot right now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven Real players in a, an area that's maybe 20 square meters, 30 square meters, something like this. And they were able to find the hole and score a goal. So, again, and for me as a left footer on that, just like Messi – I would have not used my left foot. I would try to use my right, but if Messi just changes up the speed and the goalie (laughs) couldn't make a save, you know? And it's just another great goal for Messi. I know. And from the angles that are
1: available from the cameras, I honestly can't even understand the physics of how how that finish worked because it seems like where he made contact with the ball was sort of toward... It was on the inside of his boot, but it was sort of towards his heel and he managed to get enough English on it to first get past Asenjo and then also kind
0: of curve in towards the the far post. It's a tight angle again, right? So either the goalie is going to make it the save, or it's going to go in the goal. And the other, you know, those are the two options. It's just not going to go wide. But again, Messi's first touch is that's it's, it's a combination of first touch pass. You know, it's not he's not trying to kill it. Where most players would have tried to hammer it home, and you have a more more chance of having an unforced error that way. Again, it's just the technical ability of our players on Barcelona is just unreal. I mean, if you watch Brian, if you just watch a mid tier table team in La Liga, you know, like last night I was watching the Sevilla Derby. Yeah, they have there's players that are really good, speed, physical, and their technic, you know, their technical ability is, you know, really well, but it doesn't even compare to like what Iniesta, Busquets, um, Bessie have. It's just off the charts, unreal their first touch and their passing. It's it's insane.
1: Yeah. Now, Villarreal did manage to get a goal, and it was for me, it was mostly just kind of an unfortunate series of events for us, Uh, and ultimately not too big a deal. We won the game 5-1. We were dominant throughout the whole match, but Fornals took the shot, and I don't even think that initial shot was actually on frame, but it somehow—well— But it banked off of Sansone to get into the opposite corner of the goal. So Sillison was already going the direction of the original shot, and then it banked off of Sansone to go into the goal. And it was just one of those kind of fluky things, right? Or was there some bad defending going on?
0: No, no, it was fluky, and I—I I, put—I was going to put on my notes. Um, all Villarreal had to do was um, do that five more times. Just the old ricochet play, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, easy. <laughs> <laughs> just have a guy in the center, and I'm going to kick the shit out of the ball <laughs> to you, and then just you know, we'll get another goal that way.
1: And just make sure uh, it's not a handball, and we'll be fine. No,
0: nah, it's a fluke goal. I mean, obviously, Villarreal in the second half had some more opportunities. But at the same time, we were in cruise control, yeah. you know, up 3 nothing. Of course. And to me, it was just um, a fluke goal. It was really not that much bad defending. It just it hit the ricochet. Sillison was on the ground, and it just you know, went the other way. So what are you going
1: to do? Yeah, what are you going to do? Now, it, but in the latter half um, of, of this second half of the match, this is where Dembele started scoring his goals. But the first one he got in the 87th minute, so we're almost out of time. Dembele gets his first goal of the match, and... Really, this was all Rakitic, actually. He was out wide playing attacking midfielder like he used to but hasn't been doing lately for us. And he puts it first over the head of one defender to get into some space. Then he comes in, puts the ball through the legs of another, and then he puts the cross in to give Dembele really a a super easy tap in. Rakitic did all the work for that goal.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny to me because I always liked Rakitic when he was in Sevilla. And I know when we signed him, you know, I wasn't – what's the word? I wasn't super enamored with the pick. I thought he was going to be a decent player. But, man, Brian, he has had one of these seasons this year that have been off the charts. He has gone up to another level. And he had a great season, his first season, the Champions League uh, victory, where he had a major role. But I feel this season, not only has he been important to our midfield, he just does – the things he knows what he has to do and he just does them really well. Like he's not asked to make all these crazy plays and so forth. Unfortunately, Brian, he had his worst match <laughs> against Aroma. Right. And I and I don't fault him at that for that because he was so tired. He needed a rest for that, you know? This season for me, he's been spectacular. So I'm excited to see what happens. But again, this play for me is just a great play by him. You know, he does have flashes of brilliance like this where he can make that type of play. So Right. Well, also uh, he
1: just he's been in the position mostly this year, of being more defensive. I mean, he was more attacking earlier in his career at Sevilla and maybe earlier uh, when he first started with us. But since then, he's been shifted to being more of a box-to-box midfielder. And now this season, he's been more of a defensive midfielder, uh, getting progressively pushed further and further back to give Busquets support or play the Busquets role when Sergio's out. And you don't get to – he doesn't have the opportunity to shine the way he can in these moments like he did in this one.
0: Yeah, definitely. But, I mean, we look back at the, you know, the quote-unquote important goals of the season. I mean, remember the classical goal where he just went coast-to-coast with peanut butter toast on that first goal, right? Oh, that was so good. Correct. And so he does have these flashes of brilliance, but I just feel, you know, his partnership with Busquets, the way they understand each other, they play well off each other. And especially in this goal where he was able to do that little move, it was almost like he just put the air brakes, you know, with the ball and the the player just flew right by. Yeah. And and then he was able to find um, Dembele on that play. So for me, Rakitic, not only has he, you know, he was always good. um, But for me, I just think he went up another level this year. And I just think he's had one of uh, his best seasons uh, of his career.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad to have him. But that 93rd-minute goal, Dembele's second goal, that was all him. How he got the ball on a counter, he went straight downfield, taking on two defenders, uh, with Messi out to the right in support. But Dembele, he just took it all the way down himself, beat Alvaro, and then got the shot off, chipped over Asenjo just as Costa was coming in for the tackle. And it was a really nice uh, move that he made to beat Alvaro initially.
0: Brian, I love these as we say in Spanish here, cuchara, spoon, goals. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, because I could never do them as a player. And I was always super jealous when I watched him on TV and so forth. And this was a really nice cuchara goal by Dembele going at full speed, you know, and able to complete and convert that goal. He had Messi on the right and he was able to have a nice little chip on that. This is what we would hope for, closing out the season, right? Uh, Dembele finishing the season off, really strong going into the off season with some good confidence and then you know just Coutinho I mean I'm super excited to have Coutinho for the full season going forward because I think his link-up play with Suarez Messi you know the rest of the team I think he's going to provide an amazing dimension going forward so um, to me Dembele was the man of the match like I agree with the who scored but I think everyone had a really great match um, considering it's the second to the last game, or third, to the last game of the season—really, nothing to play for except for the unbeaten streak and pride.
1: Yeah, but that—that that was not to be, as it turns out. So against Levante, Levante in the Ciutat de Valencia, that just—that just blew up, right? Everything
0: failed. As if we, we were talking earlier, because we recorded half of the show before, and I was when we recorded last, I was saying, "Yep, the last thing I'm holding on to is this undefeated streak." And right. You know, of course, you text me. You said I jinxed it. You obviously did. You I jinxed did. it. I, yeah, obviously I did. You know, my my voice, my opinion heard around the world. You know, so
1: yeah, I'm um, sure you weren't alone though. I'm sure no, there was a, but, like a critical mass of people yes. saying we're not going to lose
0: this. Well, the thing is, you know, um, I have a lot of a lot of questions. Let's let's get into the lineup first. So, all right, why, why don't you tell us what the lineup was? The lineup
1: was Turskagan and Goal and then the back four was Samedo, Jenny Mina, Vermalen and Alba, midfield of Busquets, Rakitic Iniesta, And as I saw it, it was kind of a 4-3-3. Yeah. Uh, and then up front, we had Coutinho, Dembele, and Suarez.
0: Yeah. So, you know, okay, like we talked about in the previous match against Villarreal, we had a mixture of, you know, starters and some B players. And again, we had that here too. So looking on paper, I'm, I'm looking, okay, it looks pretty reasonable. We have Busquets and Rakitic um, there for some defensive help, uh, midfield. And then obviously, you know, the thing that I would kind of look at before would be the Mina Vermalen uh, pairing but at the same time I understand just give some you know PK a rest, and obviously um out so I totally get that now what I have a question just from the get-go is when Jordi Alba is the best defender we have there he needs to focus more on defense first get into the match and then kind of work his way but for me I just think that you know, a bunch of our players, we kind of just kind of cruised through this. We just thought that we are going to just go through, uh, you know, head to Valencia and just get this easy victory. And obviously, you know, when we play away with a B team, like I just said <laughs> earlier in the Real match, it puts a lot of pressure on these players who normally don't get that pressure. And obviously, Mina and Vermalin, just, you know, not their best match ever. And as I told you before on Twitter, everyone is ready to ship Mina to the Juventus or wherever Whoever will Liverpool. take it. Yeah, wherever. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah, and I was thinking about that. You know, I mean, it's – I do think that Mina made his his share of errors. But, of course, the midfield wasn't doing him any favors either. And right. you got him with Vermellon. And I'm not sure how much the two of them have played together. So when your central defensive pairing are two guys who haven't seen a whole lot of minutes at all over the season, let alone together, you can't expect very great results.
0: Yeah. And that's the other thing is that, you know, Semedo too, you know, I, for me, Semedo and Alba uh, left Mina and Vermalin to dry too often early in the match, you know, especially since they haven't played well together, I just feel like you need to just focus on defense, be solid back four, not a back two with two wings going up and down because Levante just exposed us because of the lack of communication chemistry that was Mina and Vermalen. So I know this is probably this is the first time that they played together, and like you said, maybe in practice they paired up, but it's not the same when you're away in a La Liga. Right, and even though Vermelin had to come off with an injury
1: fairly early on in the game, uh, it was let's see, uh, PK came on for him around the thirtieth yeah. minute or so. They were down to ten men because Vermelin was off the pitch already injured, and that's when Levante scored their second one. But even when PK came on things were still not clicking right they weren't firing and of course now we're down two goals and we're just now we're trying to really push forward pk is turning into a forward player more often than a defensive player so even when pk come came on there he wasn't like the voice of defensive reason
0: correct right he was like i'm
1: gonna get in there i'm gonna help
0: and the other thing too for pk he probably you know is on the bench he's like yeah i'm not even gonna play today Right. And then all of a sudden Vermaulian gets hurt. He's like, God damn it. <laughs> you know, that's like, I mean, you just seen his face. He's just like, Oh man, really? I got to come in now. And so obviously just his, I just think his mentality was not into the match. Maybe he was going to come in later on, but at the same time, coming in 30 minutes, you know, you pretty much played a full match essentially.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he pretty much played the entire match. So, I mean, I don't want to break down every single goal because this was a very high scoring game overall. Uh,
0: Let's break down the first goal because I think the first goal was kind of a microcosm of the whole match, sure. right? I think um, the way that Semedo and Mina overlapped on defense there was just the lack of communication and trust. You know, Semedo, again, a lot of times this this year he's been caught on these overlaps and – For me, they're just really basic soccer, football moves. You know, Um, as as a winger, you should expect this type of move at all times, and he basically left Mina out to dry. Mina had to chase the guy to the corner, exposing the center, and Boateng hit that, and he didn't hit a clean shot, but he hit it well enough to go hit the post and hit a goal. If you watch the replay, Sumato is trailing the play. And if he was in better position from the get-go, then Mina would have covered the center. And so for me, just that whole just chaos going in that box was the microcosm of our defensive woes for this whole match.
1: Yeah, I would agree. And I think this is an important point that you're raising that because I was aware of the uh all the the whistles and the the calls for Yeri Mina to get shipped off somewhere else. Uh, during the match as well, even though I'm not on Twitter, I could I got the sense as well. I mean, it, it was showing up everywhere I looked, and you know, here's the thing: you defend as a team, you attack exactly. as a team. Finishing is an individual thing, right? Yeah. Uh, there are certain moments that are that are more disposed to individual performance, but defensive stuff is all about the group. It's all about the back four or, you know, however you want to work it out tactically, but it's about a group positioning and movement and understanding. It's not down yeah, to de- one guy.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that's the thing. I just think that like, especially this match, you know, we came in. Um, I, I just think that Busquets and Rakitic didn't have their best matches. Their passing accuracy was not that great. Yeah. And also just their intensity was just not there. I mean, you can just see it. And so When your intensity is not there and the other team is really bringing it and you can't match them, even though it is just Levante, they're professionals and they were able to make the best of their scoring opportunities.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we were like we were just saying about the Villarreal match. Yes, it would be nice to have that completely unbeaten season. And we we've already broken the record and set a new record for consecutive games in La Liga unbeaten. So that's already a milestone. And it would have been nice it would have been wonderful to have the fully unbeaten season. But at the same time, you know, Busquets and Rakitic, these guys have been playing just about every game all season yeah. long. And it's a long season, right? It's grueling. And we're already towards the end. We've already won the championship and and the Copa del Rey, and we're already out of the Champions League. What, you know, What do you, aside from this small thing that you can yeah. point to as another achievement, what do these guys really have to fight for? Not a whole lot. Because that's yeah. it's going to go down in history as an insignificant thing until some other team is starting to knock on the door
0: of surpassing it. Exactly, that's a good point. And for me, when I was watching the match, I could just tell from the get go. I mean, you you know, I'm a body language expert, Really? Right. So I, I could just you know, I can just tell that you know, just from the get go, Levante was fired up, you know. And these away teams, when we play away, they just they just they played the best potential versions of themselves. <laughs> and so it's just like Boateng, like this guy hasn't done anything this season. And then all of a sudden he's creating havoc, creating opportunities. Like he looked uh, like unstoppable. We, we just didn't know what to be, you know, what to do with them. And again, I, for me, it's just Alba and Semedo. When this is happening, val Green has to tell them to just focus on defense, keep the shape, keep the lanes. And we would have been fine, but, when we keep trying to bomb up that wing, we expose those holes behind them, and now Mina and Vermalin are chasing, and they were just crisscrossing behind us. So, my personal opinion is, I still think Mina should be on the team. I don't. These are two matches that we throw him in against a partnership that he has no idea with, has no experience, and people are just automatically just like, oh my god. I mean, it's hard to play center back. It's a really hard yeah. position.
1: Well, what I was telling Megan was uh, after right after the matches, you know, Kool-Aids are like this sometimes. If 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 a player if a player in their in their mind is to blame for getting scored on or whatever, like in this case, it's it's Jedimino, it's right? Yeah, it, it, they they have no patience for yeah. a new signing who can't deliver immediately, unless they came from La Masia. Then yeah. they'll get all the slack in the world, right? Yeah. If Yerimino had come through La Masia, they'd be like, well, you know, he he made some errors, you know, but uh, he's you know, he'll come along, and I and I can sympathize with that, actually, because we, we've talked many, many times about how I, I'm the same way. I give extra slack to a La Masia player than I do to a new signing. But, you know, Yerimina, he's only 23. He came in midseason. He hasn't seen that many minutes. And I've yeah. seen him make his errors. He has his spacing issues. Um, but the same is true of Samato as well. And both of these guys were brought in as, I think, future growth potential players correct they weren't meant to be immediate impact players and if i may be so bold as to propose maybe val green was just trying some things out in this match again he's he has nothing to fight for
0: yeah and and you know one of the things i saw on twitter is you know you know val green essentially sacrificed champions league for the quote-unquote on streak and then all of a sudden at Levante he rolls out this team so that's one of the criticisms I'm seeing and I get that at the same time yeah but you know we just we just didn't have it this match you know no. we just didn't have it and you know we started to have as you said the the comeback that meant nothing right, right? the lowest <laughs> stakes comeback ever yeah exactly <laughs> and you know I mean that's the one thing I do like is that we did, fought, you know, we did fought back, you know, to, to come back and to, to make it interesting at the end. But again, just right from halftime, giving up that goal within a minute. Like oh, yeah. Just those simple football rules that you just can't allow happen, we allowed happen. And that's that to me is just really lazy. And for me, I just think Jordi Alba was totally unconnected just didn't want to be there and didn't want to play. He had some balls today. I mean, he had some nice plays here and there, but at the same time I remember at the end of the match, uh, he got a ball and he just let it go out of bounds because of a bad first touch. And you can just tell he just was not focused. And to me, if if you have a couple players like that, you know with Busquets, Rakitic and Alba just unfocused, not playing at their uh, you know even 60%, then all of a sudden the other team has an advantage, a severe advantage because then now Mina Semedo, Vermolino are on islands, and they can just be exposed.
1: So essentially, all of our back four players were off their game, and their support in the mid, in the central midfield were also off their game. So you know, what do you expect yeah. is going to happen? We're going to lose bad. Yeah, but Coutinho, and,
0: on the other hand, correct showed up, man. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. And I would have, you know, there was a couple free kicks that I wish Coutinho would have taken because I just think he's a more accurate free kick taker than Suarez. But like, like you said, Coutinho had what, two goals? Three. He and, had a hat trick. Yeah. He had a hat trick. And so he was definitely, as I would say in Spanish, intrufado like plugged in, you know, and he was really going after it. But again, there was no connection to get him the ball as often. And then when he had the passes like Dembele, was a no show yeah basically match you know he came out big in that
1: Villarreal match but in this one they he just wasn't
0: getting around them they were shutting him down nothing exactly exactly and again maybe this is a match where we needed Paco instead of Suarez because maybe Paco brings a different dimension um just at the beginning that you can bring Suarez off the bench I don't know you know this is obviously after the after the fact that we're just watching this match and to me I just don't think it's that big of a deal I don't think it's you know, we lost. Okay. would have been, Like I said, I would have liked to have in the unbeaten streak. But at the same time, this is what we get for not focusing. And that's why we need to have players be players when they're when they're asked to perform, to be more focused and really fight for their job, essentially.
1: Yeah, true. And I was actually just briefly texting with a buddy, buddy of mine in between the end of the match and when we started recording. And You know, he was saying, you know, sorry about the Invincible season falling apart. And my response is, you know, it would have been nice to stay undefeated, but it's better to get the taste of defeat back in their mouths now rather than next season at the beginning.
0: Yeah, I, I like that. That's a good idea. And also just to have that, right? Like, so now we have to improve. And, you know, it goes back to the thing, you know, when we don't have Messi, I just feel like all of a sudden we kind of go into those matches where we feel like we're or maybe the other team feels that they're even with us you know it's kind of one of those psychological factors they don't see Messi Messi didn't even make the trip to Valencia and all of a sudden the team are like okay Messi's not going to be there we can maybe do something here or there and maybe they just don't care and we can equal or better them with energy and our crowd and you saw the crowd the crowd was super into it obviously and obviously Levante has done very well in the second half to not get relegated Um, they won enough games in the second half to really um you know survive La Liga and you know they're going to continue on La Liga next season but again they just they just brought it to us and even with the 5-1 lead we almost came back as well
1: yeah we came so close and I I really for a moment thought that that we could make it happen and we because we were getting a lot of chances towards the end of the match and they were pretty good chances but then also I think that there was something about you know that the mental game was also still breaking down and we weren't finishing some of our better opportunities and putting them away.
0: And that's the thing, right? We were, I think we had 5-4 in the 70th minute. So I definitely thought, you know, with 20 minutes left, it was going to give us enough opportunities. And if, you know, Suarez missed a really bad header, he was completely open. And uh, those are some of the things that, you know, Suarez for all the great things he does, sometimes fundamentally, like on that header, all he had to do was just put it on target. He skies it. You know, and you don't know when you're going to get all those opportunities again. But again, like you say here, a bittersweet hat trick for Coutinho. Yeah. So you know, but I mean, I'm you know, with Coutinho, man, I'm I'm really excited for what the upcoming season is going to be because you know what he's been able to do for this second half in these La Liga matches. He's really come in on with with goal scoring playmaking the passing and he just his energy is something that I like about him the way his his movement is and you know especially having him fresh for the Champions League campaign next season I think is definitely going to help us uh, to hopefully advance further in the Champions League next season
1: yes and I've been reading things this past week about Coutinho on Barcelona versus Coutinho at Liverpool and of course you know his skill his his invention, his, you know, his ability to see, his vision, those are all the same. But apparently he's been uh, really increasing his work rate here at Barcelona above what he was putting in in his performances at Liverpool. And that's what we're seeing also. We're seeing a really good work rate come out of him in addition to all of his great skills. And so I'm anticipating that Coutinho is really going to be the man to fill in that spot that belongs to Iniesta. And of course yeah. he said that, You know, there is no substitute for Iniesta. We agree there is no – you can't be the new Iniesta. There's no such thing, right? It's kind of like despite all the people saying, you know, so-and-so is the next Messi or whatever, there is no next Messi, right? He's one of a kind. And so the same is true of Iniesta. But I do think that in that left mid position, attacking left mid position, Coutinho is going to be fantastic next year and we could still – start getting into back into a four, three, three kind of thing with him in there.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And the other thing too, I just think also just the change in leagues for Coutinho, I think the two things as small as they may seem, I think the weather playing here in Spain definitely is going to help him because, you know, obviously the climate in in the UK is a lot colder. This is more, uh, you know, Barcelona is more similar to Brazilian weather. It's just, it's just, uh, happy weather to play in football, right? Like it's just good weather. And the other thing too is just the competition that here in La Liga, we don't slide tackle as often as we do in the or as they do in the EPL. So I think also that, so maybe he's able to work harder because also he's not taking a lot of challenges as he did in the EPL. And I think overall, like... Like we said, I just think his work rate and his ability to score goals like he has been, um, you know, it, the future is bright with him. And I'm really excited to see, especially what he does in the World Cup and also in the upcoming season. The other thing, too, did you notice the goals of Levante were absolute golosos, too? Oh, yeah, they all were. <laughs> you know, and that's the other thing. It's yeah, they were defensive breakdowns. And, you know, um, but again, it was just, oh, man, like that, that I think was the fourth one where the guy just hits it on top of the box and the upper 90 did. I mean, that was a golazo. And so, you know, those are things that you just can't predict. But at the same time, we should have done better.
1: Yes. Now, I do want to finish this up, actually, with a question for our listeners. To respond to this, please drop us a line at Barzatalk.net or give us a call on the phone line 716-795-2853. And my question is, should, in your opinion, we've expressed our opinion, but in your opinion, should Yerimina be sent to another club? Should he be exiled? Or should he be kept on with us? Give us your responses and feedback, and we will talk about it next week on the last episode of the
0: season of Barca Talk. I personally think Mina's here today. We need to give him a full season, and I think he will get better because of his size. I think it's something that we could use. But again, I just think overall, just as you stated earlier – defense team defense is a team concept and you just can't blame one player yeah on those one uh like two or three of the goals yeah, Mina is right in the middle of it but before it even got to that point it was turnovers bad passing bad um communication running back and just letting Levante run rampant on us <laughs>
1: Barca Talk is written by Gabriel Quiroga and myself, Brian Henderson. The show is edited by Brian Henderson and the music is also by Brian Henderson. Gabriel Quiroga is our promotion and social media manager, which means this is a two-man show. Go ahead and be a part of it. Give us your comments, questions, topics you'd like us to discuss. Visit BarzaTalk.net and find the contact page or one of our social media channels. And if you want to support the show, click on the support tab at BarzaTalk.net to do that. Remember to subscribe, rate, review, and spread the word about Barca Talk. Until next week, I'm Brian Henderson. I'm Gabriel Quiroga. And this is Barca Talk. Thanks for listening. Visca Barca. Visca Barca.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.